0: Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of restaurantowner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Running a restaurant involves making a lot of tough decisions, but choosing Touch Bistro's POS isn't one of them. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, offers an all-in-one POS and restaurant management system that's easy to use, easy to manage, and easy to afford. Find out why thousands of restaurants trust Touch Bistro to help them simplify operations, increase sales, and deliver a great guest experience. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli.
1: Well, welcome to another episode of Corner
2: Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine.
1: Everybody, this is Drew. Drew (laughs) Flick. We're in San Antonio, and uh, he's with Max and Louise, and he's going to tell us all about it. Drew, welcome to Corner
3: Booth. Hey, thank you very much for having me. (laughs)
2: So, Drew, we always like to start out asking, you know, what led you down the path to be in the restaurant business? What was the uh, long and winding road to where you are right now?
3: Well, my father was a, you know, I'm from New York. I'm uh, just, I'm 57 years old. So, my 47 years in New York and 11 years here in, uh, you know, or 10 years here in uh, San Antonio. My father was a caterer my whole life. So, I was, I grew up in the, in the food business. If I wanted to see my dad, I had to go with him. He worked nights and weekends. So he would seek potential clients uh, during the week, then, you know, make weddings and bar mitzvahs and whatever, whatever other events we did. And if I needed, wanted to see him, I'd have to carry his briefcase or uh, be a dishwasher or uh, do something on the weekends to, um, to see him. You know, unfortunately when I was a kid, he wasn't at a lot of the ball games and a lot of those things because catering business, you work weekends. Uh, so yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up in the food business and then I decided when I had, I have 28 year old, I've been married 32 years all in a row. Um, I have, um, uh, twins that are 28, uh, a boy and a girl and, uh, So I, uh, when I had my kids in 1994, I decided I didn't want to work nights and weekends. And I left the business and I went into the, uh, insurance and investment business on Park Avenue in New York city for 17 years and totally left the, uh, the food industry. And, um, and then in, uh, 2011, I guess it was. I have had an uncle who was a a very prominent surgeon here in San Antonio for over 50 years. And we were very close for some reason, even though I was in New York and and he was in San Antonio. We just were he was a great advisor and and we just enjoyed talking to each other. And I would run I run ideas by him, you know, so I was in San Antonio visiting him And I ran a concept that I had by him and uh, he never gave a fast answer. So I was back in New York and a couple of days later, he calls me up and he says, you know, um, you know, that idea you ran by me. He says, I don't like it, but I think you should move to San Antonio and we'll open up that New York style deli that you've always, um, you know, talked about. And I'm like, why would you want to do that? And he said, well, we'll we'll have fun and I'll help you realize a dream of something you've always wanted to do. He said, we'll spend a year. You'll, uh, you know, we'll, you know, if we'll figure it out, we'll find the perfect location. Well, he called me two weeks later and said, I found the perfect location. You need to come to San Antonio tomorrow. This was on a Monday. And we were going away on like a 10-day trip, the uh, family. And I said, well, I'm going away on Thursday. He says, it doesn't matter. You could never say no to him. So this was on a Monday. I said, I'm going away on Thursday for 10 days. He says, well, You'll leave from here instead so i i came to san antonio the next day we he showed me this location that he was talking about signed the lease literally that day and um i moved to san antonio six weeks later wow and lived you know, on their couch you know, for, I, for, for, for weeks and weeks
1: you gotta love your uncle I, I mean you just gotta love a guy that says oh i'm sorry um my nephew's gonna go away on a family vacation that's wonderful So you'll just, you'll leave from here then because you're obviously coming (laughs) to see me.
3: Yeah, exactly. It was, yeah. And it's a much longer, and we can get into it a little bit, but it's a very, it's a much more complicated story over the last, you know, since, uh, you know, I guess 11 years or whatever it is that I'm here, 10 years, 11 years. So this great idea, this
2: concept, um, I'm assuming that is what materialized into the business that you're running today. That is not the case. Okay. Um, so I was going to ask you <laughs> tell
3: me about your concept, uh, but we'll get there. <laughs> so the concept that I have today is what I intended to do 11 years ago when I came down unexpectedly so fast to visit him. But the building was so big and so fancy that we changed the entire concept to a fancier More of a grill, you know, not a not a deli, not a diner. It was a, I mean, I we had a bar that sat, you know, had fifty seats just in the bar with. I mean, I had thirty tequilas and fifty single malts. It was it got it was crazy, and I wore suits every day. I mean, you don't see suits now, right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. um, it lasted three years. I worked. 18 hours a day, seven days a week for three years. My actually, my kids were going into their senior year of high school that year. So I was here. My wife and kids were in our house in New York. We saw each other, you know, and when we were building it out, you know, fit, fixing it up. We, I went home almost every weekend, but once we opened, they were there. I was here. It was a disaster. It was really, um, you know, we're a very, very close family. And um, I think the only one that really liked it was my son because. When my wife would come visit me, the house became a, um, a party house, you know, uh, so everybody was excited when Wendy came to visit Drew, you know, so, um, but yeah, uh, tough- except, except his twin sister, she was the, she had always clean up after him. Well, well, that is tough. I
1: mean, it's a tough industry anyway, but for three years to be, you know, in a, running a large restaurant, bar, long hours, tough operation, and be separated from the family. How did yeah. you decide to modify and either change the concept or move i mean how did that one end and max and louis become a reality
3: we actually had assumed the failed business that was in this building before and my uncle had been and i'm not blaming anything but you know we were we shouldn't have taken it over in the first place you know but i was not i wasn't seasoned enough in the business he wasn't seasoned at all it just you know, he said the forks and knives are still on the table. It's beautiful. And um, if we do a good job, how could it not work? His One of his favorite, you know, terms was it's, you know, not rocket science. Well, I'm totally convinced that running a uh, a restaurant of any magnitude is as close to rocket science as you're going to get. It's really more uh, like
2: brain surgery, but.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, you're right. But um, yeah, so we, you know, it's, it had a. It was 10,000 feet, it had a bakery, it had a bar, it um, it wasn't built, you know, it was beautiful, but the steps of service, you couldn't get from one side to the other, you know, so you had the staffing was just, you, ha- you had to have too much staff for it to operate. So we, you know, we I built a good reputation, we did a good job, people loved it. I, we just literally hemorrhaged money every single week for three years. Um, and we kept on trying and trying and meeting. And, I, you know, he would call me and I'd go to his house at 10 o'clock at night. And why don't we try this? And why don't we try that? And I would do whatever, you know, whatever he said or whatever I thought. And, you know, so, I mean, there are people 10 years later that come to Max and Louie's, my current restaurant and say, oh, man, I miss Drew's, you know, that, you know, um, uh Tuna stack or whatever, you know, whatever thing that we did over there that we either do or don't do here. They would just say we miss, you know, we miss that. And it was called Drew's American Grill. Very creative. (laughs) Um, That was my uncle's idea. Uh, And it was beautiful and we built a good reputation, but we couldn't do it. And we had assumed the previous restaurant's lease. So it was only three years left. And the landlord was a disaster. You know, we we didn't vet anything. We were, you know, he was just a real, he's a bad, he's a bad person. You know, he's really a bad reputation in town, owns a lot of real estate throughout the city. Um, he built this building originally for his sons who had a successful, what was supposedly a successful restaurant for many years. Um, every time I had an issue with something with the building, he would just hold up a page in the lease and say, sorry, so it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. And, um, we opened up on um, in September of 2011, and we we closed on Halloween Day, 2014. So three years, you know, almost you know within a few weeks of the, um, you know, to the start date, and um, we offered every employee a bonus to um, to stay to the end. If they stayed until the uh, the last day, we off, we we paid them a bonus to stay on. Every every single vendor, we didn't owe one penny to one person when we closed down the restaurant. You know, we, you know, we were a- able to do that. And we just, you know, we're, you know, we just, we're not bridge burners, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a problem in a lot of industries, you know. I'll just you know, close that, it down. and
1: That is. And, you know, and I just, I think that's a good point that you're making. We don't talk. Uh, on our program an awful lot. We haven't had an opportunity to talk an awful lot about someone who experienced a business closing or proper closures. But you know, Barry, you and I've talked about that a lot. And I think, I think our industry does get a bad rap. I think people just assume that when they see that a restaurant closed, that that means it was a problem. They board up the windows or they see a sign that says close for remodeling. There is no remodeling, you know, the owner closed. Uh, but in reality, there are more stories like this where, you know, it's the right thing to do. You made a plan, notified the landlord. You really took care of your staff. That was good. All the vendors got paid. So it was a professionally planned closing. Good for you.
3: I, I equate it almost to like a New Orleans funeral. You know, we we invited guests. We you know, we would you know, we we. Treated it as if you know we were um, open and doing well until the day we closed, and and we didn't just disappear. People knew it, and they were really sad when we when we left. And then I didn't know what I was going to do, you know. Next, I you know I was again in my fifties. Um, I had put you know kind of everything that I uh, that I had into that, and um, and now what do you do? You know what do you do next? I was looking at you know going to work for you know suppliers or uh you know uh, go back into the you know the you know the business that I had come from it was very um ve- very stressful and um and and difficult and you know and you know sad in a way but um but I'm a um yeah, you know I'm a I'm a roller coaster rider who hates roller coasters you know I mean you just kind of you just you ride, you ride the ups and the downs, and um, and you do the best you can, and that's kind of how we handled, you know, you know that.
1: How long of a time was there between the closing and then when you were able to kind of get started on your new project? Oh,
3: so it's actually interesting. So again, I'm a very entrepreneurial, and um, tor- right towards the end, one of my um, customers that I was doing some catering for. Um, an oil company and a privately owned um, oil company that was was doing was a big fracking company down in the um, in in the Eagleford in South Texas. So I started um, they asked me if I could cater meals to their, you know, to the frackers, you know, the staff on these fracking sites. So I started providing a few meals once here and there. And then when I knew the writing was on the wall and I was going to close, I kind of. Decided that I was going to try and make that into a a thing. So in the very beginning, I was literally driving two hours in each direction back and forth. Half the time it was with my wife or just one employee. And we would, you know, have a have grills or whatever. um, And we would feed, you know, feed these guys. And then I ended up buying a trailer, uh, uh, like a mobile kitchen trailer and I traded in my car for a pickup truck, you know, the New Yorker with the pickup truck. And um, we were feeding, uh, it ended up, we were feeding uh, for about a year and a half, a little longer. We were feeding about 200 men twice a day, seven days a week. Um, And it was the, it was literally the most, like almost the most money I ever made because it was, um, I had hardly any employees. I had three employees and my wife and I and, you know, two days a week, my wife and I would go and we would stay overnight and bring enough food. This trailer, the um, the company would hook it up to a um, to a generator. So we would kind of milk truck back the staff and the food and we would be on a site for about two weeks at a time. And it was unbelievable. And then gas went from 100 to 75 when it hit 50. Literally on a Sunday, I got a call and said, "Today's the last day. We're not feeding our staff anymore. We uh, we're going to start shutting down some of our stuff." And then oil went down to thirty, and then ten, and all this crazy stuff. So now, a year and a half later, I'm out of business again. <laughs> I had made a lot of money in a short period of time and got like rid of debt and did all these things. And now I'm like done. What do I do? So back onto the, uh, chick, the click, 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 figuring out what the, the next ride on the roller coaster is gonna bring. And a guy I was friends with, who owns a bunch of um, fast Mexican restaurants here in San Antonio, um, he said, why don't we open up that deli you always talked about? And we, and you know, so it, it, nothing happened, didn't happen fast, I'm not gonna, you know, cause we're still friends, he's just now we're not partners anymore and I'll explain that. We ended up after almost a year, of me doing nothing and building and big debt. And, and I had two kids in college at the same time. And it was uh, interesting, but we found this location. We uh, built out the place and the Max and Louie's model is very different than a fast food Mexican restaurant model. Sure, sure. Um, you know, it's uh, not, they, they have 14 restaurants. It's very, very successful, but, there's a lot of, uh, spatulas and, and spatulas and, and kitchen spoons. And this is all, you know, I have, we have 85 employees right now. Uh, we had 85 employees on March 20th and we had to furlough 75 of them. You know, we can come to the whole COVID story in a minute. Well, so uh, you opened after, after you it was March, that. September, it- September, 2016. Ah, and uh, this, so so in about a month and a half, we're gonna. It'll be six years since Max and Louise is open. Um, our corporate name for the original restaurant that turned into Drew's was Max and Louise Gourmet something or other. You know that we were thinking about. So that's what the that's what the uh, the corporate kit was. You know said, but it never ended up being that. But when I came back here, we, you know, we decided to open up this. It was, it's Max and Louie's New York Diner. Max was my great uncle. Louie was my grandfather. And, so describe, uh, the con-
2: describe the concept. Um, I, I mean, I get a general idea. It, it's New York
3: Deli style, but um, It's a lot this, more than that, actually. Yeah. It's, it's um, you know, I call it a diner with a Jewish Deli undertone or a New York Deli undertone. So it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We open 7 a.m., to 9 p.m. seven days a week. Uh, it used to be open a little later, but right now we're sticking to that 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Um, you can get pancakes at, at, at eight o'clock at night and you can get a um, a Reuben sandwich or a burger at 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's, um, and it's, there's, we also, we, we bake our own bagel. It's a, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of places that do similar things that we do, but there's really no one else that does it in under one roof. With You know, and, and I don't promote the scratch thing, but we be, we've evolved into the, like 95% scratch just because a lot of things I wasn't able to get. So we end up making, we bake our own bagels. We, our number one selling item on our menu is challah French toast and, other, and variations of that. We bake almost a thousand loaves of challah bread, brioche bread a week in the restaurant.
2: Well I gotta believe then, um, just based on other concepts that are doing what you do, that bakery operation is pretty big and that you're selling that bread to other locations than the restaurant. Am I am I reading too much into that?
3: A little bit. You know, it's um I could. And I've had people, and there's actually um Chris may you know, may know this, whatever, but the there's actually a shortage of great bread here in San Antonio. There's yeah. Um, There aren't a lot of, you know, great. And I could get into that. The issue with um, getting into being a bread supplier is delivery and, and money, you know, again, you come back to what we talked about when I closed my other restaurant, Um, the original restaurant I had, it had a bakery. So I assumed that I was excited to be another revenue stream. And, you know, there was a French baker there who ended up being a terrible guy. Um, but one day, like early on, I, I went and made all the deliveries for the, um, you know, for the, you know, uh, you know, that the bakery was doing and just cause I wanted to see what my, you know, really see my business. So I make a delivery of like 14 loaves of French bread and I got there at 12, I don't know, let's say 10, I don't even know 10, 10 you know, 10 after 10. And according to this guy, I was late and he hassled. He hassled me and he pulls it out and he says, this one's a little dark or whatever it is. The whole order was like $38. Right. And he didn't pay his bills well either. Um, so I went back to the bakery that day and I raised the minimum delivery to a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And he was the first one to call and say, what do you And Whatever it is. I said, you should have thought about that when you treated the, you know, me as the driver, like crap, you know, um, you know, today. And then a little while after that, I closed it down. It's too Again, our, our industry, unfortunately, has a reputation of not being the best payers. Uh, and now, again, that's that's not a that's not everybody, but it's just it just it just happens. And, you know, you have a bad week and you get behind and then notice. No, you know what? You, you made us think of something, though, that maybe in,
1: in your diner atmosphere, the breads and the bagels, maybe not so much for commercial wholesale delivery, but I bet they're available aren't they to guess
3: they probably buy them by the loaf or by the dozen while they're there. I have, I have, I have a bank, I have bakery counters out in the middle of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And you probably do the same thing with your cakes and pies. Is that a big part of the business? It's a big part. And you know, we, when we, um, when I opened, I had a hundred, about a hundred seats, roughly, plus a little, you know, uh, patio and we opened the doors. I did my, did my original business plan you know, for, I don't know, you want to talk numbers at all, but you know, I mean, I don't know if you, whatever want, to whatever, you want to share, but I did, a, I did a business, I did a business plan and I, and I did it all based on doing $40,000 a week. Okay. This was in 2016 and my uncle and this other business partner, um, they thought I was being totally outrageous and grandiose and we would never do that. And We opened up doing closer to 50, 40, you know, in the four in the upper 40s. And I'll just say that we've never done less. And we had hour and a half waits from the first day. And um, yeah, it was just it was just kind of interesting and crazy. So I said to my uncle about a year or so, in, I said, I think we should consider opening another location because the waits are crazy and people are driving from all over, you know, and he said, well, why don't we take over the space next door? And, you know, you don't need another 60 some odd employees. There's only one drew and, you know, and it's only 5,000 more in rent as opposed to the whole big thing. So and he says, if it's if I'm if I'm wrong, then then, you know, I'll be on the hook for it, you know, kind of thing. So we did it over. We put paper in the front windows of this of the space next door. There was a wall up in between. And that was about 4,000 feet. We had about uh, 4,000 feet already. Took about five months to build. And overnight, we opened, we broke down the wall. People had no idea we were doing this. And we broke down the wall in the middle of the night. It took about a week or so for them to tie in a couple of the loose ends, add the the tiles that matched. The directive to my uh, contractor was that it had, it couldn't look like that's the new side and this is the old side. And if you saw, you would never know, unless you're an original customer, you'd never know. It's like literally, but I put in right in the center of the bakery, the the, the restaurant, as soon as you walk in, there's a $50,000 revolving bagel. It's now pit bagels and pizza, but a bakery oven, a four deck revolving oven and a kettle and bakery cases and, and all this stuff, you know, and you know, so we sell our cakes, long story short, we sell our cakes and our bagels and, uh, and we bake about ninety percent of whatever we sell. We bake ourselves. I have a a local baker that bakes my recipes, but I just can't keep up with the with what we have to do in house. So he bakes my 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 large cakes, my cheesecakes, and all that other stuff. But every cookie, every you know, every, all that other stuff is all baked you know in house, and it's a big operation. Sounds like it. So now
1: you're at eight thousand square feet. Your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can order any item at any time of the day. So that obviously creates some stress and unusual structure in a kitchen that, say, most restaurant operators wouldn't be facing. So walk us through your structure. Uh, uh, how do you have, um, you know, your your structure to manage the kitchen, manage the service, manage the bakery?
3: How are you set up? Well, and it's it's interesting because. I doubled the size of the, of, the, of, of the seating and I put in a private room and some more bathrooms. But the kitchen's the same size. When it was 100 and something seats, now it's 250 seats and we're doing mm-hmm. catering and baking. So, you know, we now have prep people that work at night. You know, it just used to be day. Now we have, you know, so we have people coming in at, um, at night to do prep. I have the bakery people and, and the day people come in five o'clock in the morning, my bagel baker comes in. I mean, so, so it just, there's almost no, uh, I also have a, uh, and this is someone that I inherited from my original restaurant and he's been with me for 10 years. I, I have a full-time, which very, very few restaurants do this. I have a full-time maintenance person on staff. I almost never call a um, for for maintenance on anything, whether it's my AC units on my roof. My uh, he PMs we PM all our own stuff, so we PM you know every refrigerator. And there's a there's a, a whole cycle, you know. I mean, um, one of the there's a big restaurant not very close, within a hundred yards of my place. And a couple weeks ago, their air conditioning went out, or some of their air conditioning went out, and it was like a disaster. I had I had Alberto go on the roof, and even though he had recently did it, I had him PM and change every filter and belt on, on all seven of our air conditioning units because I didn't the the five hundred dollars in or whatever it is in supplies I couldn't replace with you know the the lost you know guests. So um, it's uh, so I so he's he he cleans the restaurant basically six days a week, um, and then he's he comes in at four o'clock. Uh, You know, by the time we open, he's pretty much done with all of the cleaning process. And then he maintains all our, you know, every day someone says, hey, Alberto, can you do this? Can you do that? Drew, can you order uh, order me this part for this this um, uh, refrigerator or this shape machine or whatever it is? So that's a very, very important piece. It's the best money. um, It's best money I, you know, I spend. Mm -hmm. See how he would be a very popular person. <laughs> yeah, you know, someone once, some new and a new employee once called him the janitor, and that didn't. That was the last time anybody uh, <laughs> said any. And now I call him that as a joke. You know, he's he's the only one who knows where I live. Actually, in my out of my eighty five employees, the only one that knows where I live. So what he's about part the rest of the, of the part menu? Of
2: the Drew, the rest of the menu, the the bakery part is impressive enough, but um, you know what. What's the rest of the menu look like? Uh, how
3: are you doing with supply issues? Uh, well, uh, that kind of thing. So the um, I mean, not intentionally, but like again, but I, we make just about everything from scratch. My pancakes, we we sift all the dry ingredients. We separate our, our our yolks from our whites. We whip the whites to peaks. We fold them in and we're serving. You can't even I mean, I serve six thousand people a week. I mean, that's a lot of pancakes, a lot of French toast. A lot of everything but um you know just to kind of is a are you familiar with zingerman's and um in ann arbor michigan yeah sure yeah so right in their menu zingerman says um they have a thing that says why our um why our uh, why our sandwich co- our sandwiches cost what they do something like that uh-huh. and they explain that we use the best the best meat the best bread the best cheese whatever it is and we'll never We'll charge more before we'll use inferior products or reduce the, um, the size of a, of a thing. And I, and I live by that. The two things, I live by that and I live by Danny Meyer's um, hospitality. I mean, that's, you know, I've met him. I've been to every restaurant that he has. I, um, I have a new thing. I just, um, I would, may, may start my own little, you know, podcast, you know, related to that. I have too many things on my plate. I don't know when I'll get to it. Uh, But that exceeding guest expectations, that's the uh, that's that's the the answer to everything in in my world. Um, As far as so that, you know, so, you know, we have I mean, it's eight pages, my menu. It's but we try to cross utilize as much as we possibly can. So I make from scratch the best meatballs you ever um, you've ever had a real Italian meatball, pecorino Romano. I mean, Italian breadcrumbs, 80-20, uh, you know, Angus, you know, ground beef, you know, great, you know, ingredients. But I there's an appetizer, a sandwich, and an entree. Um, the You know, when we try to do that on everything, and I'm in the middle of re-engineering my menu now, it's because, I mean, the um, there's just so many things that um, you talk about supply chain. Um we may not have turkeys for Thanksgiving. I don't know if you're aware of that, but I'm talking about you, you. most people will not be able to go to, not only to alarm the world, but you probably will not be able to go to the supermarket and buy a turkey for Thanksgiving. You should go right now and put it in your freezer. Uh, Butterball, I, I use a, um, a natural um, breast, um, turkey breast that um, that Butterball happens to make. My cousin in Florida it is a small distributor. He sold three hundred thousand pounds of that particular turkey last year. And last week, Butterball is um, not stopped making it, and they they don't know when they'll start again. Definitely not till the end of the year. So I have about fifteen cases of turkey left total. I'm going to start baking, you know, cooking my own this next week, and I may have to take turkey off the menu for a while because of the bird flu and supply chain issues. An egg. A year ago, I was paying twelve cents for an egg. Yesterday's delivery, thirty-two cents for one egg. Last year, eggs cost me fifty thousand dollars. This year, if it continues at this price, it'll be hundred and fifty thousand dollars for egg. Right? I mean, it's it's absur- It's it's scary. And so, how do, where does all that money come from? You know, and and how much? How far? How much can you raise your prices? I mean, it's there's it's a very interesting dynamic right now. You know, you don't hear in the you don't hear in our in our government, you don't hear anybody talking about the fifteen dollar minimum wage anymore because nobody makes fifteen dollars. They're all making everybody's making more. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, um, for years, all you know, you have to have a fair wage. You have to pay them fifteen dollars minimum wage. I don't I don't think I have anybody making less than fifteen dollars here. I can't. Um, And then we're shorthanded in some places. so the fifteen you know, gets time and a half. And I have a very specific philosophy about uh, overtime that's a little different, I think, than, than some other people think. But, um, but right now, overtime is a, is a big problem.
0: Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, powers thousands of restaurants with its all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform. Beyond its exceptionally easy to use point of sale, Touch Bistro provides best-in-class customer engagement products for online ordering, loyalty, email marketing, and gift cards. Whether you're focused on restaurant operations or keeping customers coming back for more, Touch Bistro can help. And now, back to Chris and Barry.
2: What's the culture like? Do you have a pretty good retention rate of your employees? Is it it is it a good esprit de corps, um, fun place to work? Uh, what, what kind of, uh, it sounds like you run a pretty tight ship. You know, what, what's the culture like in terms of your staff and, and just the whole vibe
3: of, of your uh, uh, employment? So I have like an advisor that I, you know, um, meet with all the time. He's, you know, very, become a very good friend. He owns like a lot of companies. He's a very successful guy my age. And he was sitting with my wife and I last week, just having, you know, breakfast. And he said to my wife, he says he asked that question. What you know, when you think of Max and louis what do you think of? And I was shocked without even hesitating. My wife said it's family serving families. I mean, that's the that is the atmosphere we have here. If you don't get the if you don't get it, then you, you typically don't last here. I mean, as tough as and as tight as I sound, I'm not. Um, I'm probably in a lot of ways too, you know, too, too lenient in certain ways, um, but it's, but it's worked. Um, we're tightening up a lot of things now uh, just because we need, you know, we're not, you know, we're doing a, an enormous amount of volume, the most we've ever done. And there's no, there's very, very little money left, if any, at the end of the week or month. So we're figuring out, I just priced out uh, the top 20, you know, 25 items on my menu. Um, down to the, um, the to the uh, every ingredient on a sandwich and and what a what a chicken finger cost me you know and um you know you're putting three chicken fingers on your chicken and waffles or your chicken and french toast or whatever it is well by putting those three we found we figured it out that our size of our we make them from scratch our chicken fingers and i was putting three on there it was my food cost was like 70 percent on on an item that you would think would be you know 22 percent. So, you know, so we're making adjustments We're you know, we're fixing things. But the culture, um, Tawana, who is my um, one of our managers now, she literally just about two weeks ago came off the floor permanently. First person I hired six years ago. Um, she is now um, one of my um, I have a general manager and then I have two. Um, we'll just call them managers. I'm not a big title guy, but um, they're all they all have their strengths and, and no one has a weakness, but they're all, some are just stronger than others. My GM is a real techie, you know, so he can handle the POS system better than, you know, than anybody. Um, to Tawana, she just came in here literally um, a half hour before we started this meeting with a plate of onion rings and said, you know, are they supposed to be 14 or they're supposed to be 18? And I said, well, I think because onions are different sizes, we got to weigh it. And we get, you know, so we're working on really trying to tighten the ship, as best we can, because you know it's it's not changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. These problems. Um, no, no, I think you're yeah. right. I think um, I think our listeners, I think, would
1: probably agree too that the two things you're talking about managing your menu and engaging your staff are two principles that aren't just short-term nice things to think about. Um, everybody's got to find their way of managing their menu. I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about that because, you know, you're in a unique situation in that you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you've got multitudes of menus. You told us you got an eight-page menu. So you've got many, many more items than I know most restaurant operators that are listening today. Um, So do you have a setup where you're going to do a continuous yes. monthly or is it seasonally or how
3: do you want to approach that review your menu based on item sales and item cost? Well, I review, I review my, my product mix, um, now on a, you know, at least on a weekly basis, okay. the top, the top 10 or 15 items are always in the top 10 or 15 items, you know, French toast is number one, you know, and so on and so on. Um, I'm reviewing and I compare myself to other restaurants locally and other restaurants in other parts of the state. And then I have friends who have places in New York and I kind of see, and then I, you know, so I kind of see what they're charging and what I'm charging and what they put on the plate. And then I, um, I, I, you know, um, engineered the individual items to see what those items are, you know, specifically costing me um, right now. If so, if I can get away with, Anything under thirty, I'll say even under thirty-five, um, then I'm um, you know I'm I'm not un, I'm not unhappy because I uh, you know it will get a little you know a little bit better you know fry oil is down but you know eggs are up and you know this kind of this you know this roller coaster again that we're um, we're going through. The I I, I picked up the uh, the setting the table book if any of the readers haven't read it, I mean, it's, you know, it is such a, um, you know, cause the number kind of the number one thing, you know, that, that Danny Myers talks about in this book, besides just what the definition of hospitality is, is who the most important person in the restaurant is. And, you know, we've been trained our whole lives to say the guest is always right. But if you have unhappy, if you have unhappy employees, then how could the guest be treated right? Or how, you know, so I really work, I really live by, again, another principle in Danny Meyer's book about that the employee is the number one person in the, in the we treat them well. We, you know, help them out. You know, if they have, it's an open door. If they have issues, they come and talk to me and my wife or, you know, or, and, um, and because if they're happy, then they'll, then that'll, then they'll take care of the guests much, much better.
2: And particularly now, I mean, there's just no way to get away with the prices that we all got used to dining out five years ago. And so if somebody comes into a restaurant and doesn't have an an exceptional experience, including good food, I don't see why they'd come back. It's just expensive to dine out now. And the guests and the employees are the ones who are going to set the tone for the entire experience.
3: Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, we just had an all staff meeting. I closed the restaurant. I only closed two days out of the year, Thanksgiving day and Christmas day, two days, the whole year. So it's a, it's again, it's a, it's a beast to maintain. It's a you know, beast to run. Um, there's something going on uh, probably 20 out of the 20 out of the 24 hours in the day in the building. Um, but I had this all staff meeting last, uh, last week and um I'm starting a, I created an incentive program. I'm not, and I'm not done with it. I'm making a Max and Louis poker chip. And on the back, it's nothing on there now because this was just from my golf bag, but it's going to say pot five points. And I'm basically, so we can't, you know, the old story, you can't save yourself into profitability, right? I mean, this, I can, I'm tweaking everything I can without affecting the guest experience. But unless I, unless I dramatically, screw with the guest experience i can't i there's there's just so much i can i can save so now how do you make money you know you make money by uh, by selling more and then when and i have you know we we doubled the size of the restaurant the day we doubled the day we took down the door we had hour and a half waits again with double the size i mean it's just it's a phenomenon in my opinion you know um i my wife and i sit in the corner of the restaurant and We're like i'm not sure how this happened you know but um so how do you how do you um how, how do you make more money? The only way to make more money is take those that that, that whether you're serving two hundred people a week or six thousand people a week, you know you need, we need to sell more to them, and yeah. and that's desserts, appetizers. Um, we have a full bar, more liquor, um, even our we our shirts and our mugs and our swag and gift cards. You know, gift cards are a um, are something that people totally, you know, a lot of people forget about. You know, I'm actually instituting. We usually just do it during the holidays, but I'm I'm putting it full time all year. You buy one hundred dollars, you get a twenty dollar extra card in the industry, in our industry, 20 percent of gift cards are never are never redeemed. That's an industry average. So that 20 percent you're giving away, you're going to you're not going to you're going to they're not going to redeem it. So it's not even a cost, but it's a great promotion. And then when people spend their gift cards, it's like cash. So they're you don't have the credit card fees that, um, that they, you know, that, um, that that's a whole nother, I could spend. I'm meeting. I just, I'm meeting with the, um, with the, with the restaurant association here at their next meeting, hopefully to discuss credit card fees, because everybody except the industry that's suffering the most is charging credit card fees, but we are not. But we're not, and it's um, it's a whole other issue. How about um, how about walking us through? Speaking of issue, the how you maybe were impacted
1: with increase in delivery, uh, curbside pickup. Uh, what percentage of sales are at that? And do those delivery fees, third party delivery
3: and whatnot, <laughs> impact you negatively, or are you okay with that? So I was a uh, intentionally a late bloomer when it came to the um, delivery services. I refused. I just could never wrap my head around paying 30% in fees to have my food delivered. You know, where did all that money come from? There wasn't, there isn't enough of that, you know, um, profit in there to, you know, to do it. And then I would speak to friends and they say, well, they'll go somewhere else and it's, it's name recognition and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so I, I didn't do the um, uh, delivery services and I only use, I use favor, which is a Texas based one owned by H-E-B. And then I use DoorDash. Those are the only two I do. And I didn't sign on until I pay 15% to DoorDash. So if anybody is still paying in the third in, in the 25s to 35s and their things go back to them, cause you can negotiate. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely negotiate. Sure. I pay 15% and then I was paying 20% to favor when DoorDash came in at 15, I went back to favor and said, if you want to keep my business, you have to change it to 15. And they did. Does most of your to-go uh, get picked up? Is it curbside or? It's, is most it's of most, this- no, it's definitely, you know, as far as the to-go business, I bet you, I don't know the exact percentage, but I bet you it's 80-20 pick up to delivery. Okay. Okay. When we're bit when we're very very busy, which is a lot of the time, we shut it off. We shut off the um, the delivery because there's just um, there's just so much the, ki- the kitchen can produce. You know, a, a delivery order can't move ahead of a of a, a dining room order when it comes in and goes up on our screen. Um, it shows up, and if it, if there's If there's a 45 or a 90 minute wait at the door, it's going to be a 45 or a 90 minute wait for you to get your your to go water because I'm not going to I can't screw the guests that are that are here or got on our waiting list. So some people wait and some people don't. When COVID hit, we um, we went we were we were on track to have that March weekend. It was it was spring break of March and we were on track to have the busiest week we've ever had. And then on Friday, the mayor said, on Monday, we're closing everything down. And we're like, oh, my God, (laughs) you know. And um, so we went from doing almost 100 that week to the following week. We did six as like $17,000 in one week. And I laid off or furloughed. That was a new word everybody learned. You know, (laughs) I furloughed 75 of my 85 employees and the remaining ones were a couple of managers and a couple of strategic people to help with the, I put up tents in my, in my, so we never, we never closed. We just went from dining room to curbside, you know, literally Sunday, we closed the dining room Monday. We were now with just a pickup, um, restaurant. Mm-hmm. And then I got very lucky, um, that H-E-B, which is the biggest supermarket chain in, um, in Texas. And they're in Mexico and they, um, I was the first restaurant in the state that they came to because they didn't have it they didn't all they were having trouble getting toilet paper and paper towels and all those things for their customers they had no bakery goods no to go items you know all that stuff was was they couldn't get deliveries of it so they asked me if I'd be interested in um, putting in prepared meals in as many stores as I can handle and of course I said yes and then I said I don't know I'll figure it out you know'm so I went to Dick's Sporting Goods and got four curbside delivery of four of the biggest coolers that they sold. And for a week or so, I delivered one store out of the back of my SUV. Um, while we were pick, building the menu, building the labels, coming up with packaging, how to um, my, my um, Benny Keith is my, um, pretty much my only supplier now. Um They put a trailer, a refrigerated trailer in the back of my restaurant and they provided me with a truck and a driver seven days a week. Now, covid was supposed to last a couple of months. Right. And it ended up. So for eight months, I was in ten. We went from curbside delivery, you know, from those coolers uh, and one store. I was delivering ten stores and we were delivering about fifteen hundred items a day to ten stores. Uh Um, And it um, and I brought back almost 30 employees. Uh, to, and that was the plan, you know, that's why HEB did it help the restaurant and bring back people to work. So when we started opening the dining room, I had a nice little, um, nucleus of staff to start off with. Um, and a lot of those people obviously were people who worked for me. The problem was when we went back to full dining rooms, like everybody else, there were no, a lot of people decided they didn't want to go back into our industry, um, or they were sitting, you know, collecting checks, you know, I'm convinced that they um, they're working for Amazon and Uber and driving for Uber Eats, not just for two years sitting and, and doing nothing. But um, why, why would you want to be a server when, or a line cook when you can sit in your car and, and deliver, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A all day, you know, or something? Well, you know, we heard that.
1: No, we've heard that when we were talking about labor coming back. Other operators were actually tracking some of their staff, and they said that was very true, that during COVID, so many people that, you know, could not work in restaurants started working for industries that needed them. They were in warehouses, stocking, they were delivering, and they got jobs, whether it was UPS, FedEx, or grocery call, wholesalers. Call, center, call centers, yeah. you know. And then, of course, the restaurants open and say, you know what, I don't want to come back to the kitchen. I've got a pretty good schedule. I don't have to work nights. I've got a decent hourly wage. I like my benefits. I'm just going to keep driving a truck.
3: We lost some people. And the you know, the so a lot of restaurants closed on Mondays, closed on Tuesdays, you know, or uh, cut their, you know, cut their hours. Whatever it is. And I just refuse. There's a restaurant in town here. When I first met them 11 years ago, they said that their mother. I said, what day do you close? And they said, close. My, our mother's. Your mother said, if the, if the landlord won't charge me rent on the day I'm closed, I'll. Um, then we'll close a day. So I kind of lived by that for the last eleven years. I hate to say it, but they close on Mondays now, <laughs> that family. But, um, I just refuse to close. So we've adjusted our hours. Our staff. Our pay. I have a lot of overtime. Um, you know, my overtime philosophy is if we still have time, um, is I don't care about overtime. I care about the bottom line number. If I can give a great employee who's willing to work hard and longer and it'll help his family and it's a way to give them more money, then I'd, I would, I want them to have overtime and then I have to work really hard with the rest of my staff to jump, you know, to move it around. So I end up with my, you know, my 30, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever that percentage is, my 30% or less in overall, you know, labor cost. Um I don't know if if people agree with that or not, but that's kind of my philosophy. People sit there and they sweat, or corporations they say, "Well, look at all your overtime," and you know. And to me, it's it's over. It's 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 a it's not as big a problem unless you don't manage the whole labor. You know, your whole labor pool,
2: and it's productivity that matters anyway. Yeah,
3: hundred percent. And
2: you know, I hope people are hearing a lot of the, a lot of what you're talking about. Has to do across the board has to do with how important relationships are your vendor relationships, your employer relationships, and relationships in the community HEP, Benny Keith. um, You know, these are this, this is what's going to keep you going um, because you're completely dependent on other people and other businesses to manage a restaurant. Um, I'm hearing that loud and
3: clear from you and and fellow and fellow. I have a a group and it's a very small group of restaurateurs that we, that I, you know, they call me, I call them. We speak to each other almost every day. You know, how are you handling this? What are you doing about that? You know, I mean, that's a very, if you, if you're like, you know, if you're a, um, you know, kind of so independent that you're, you're worried that someone's going to steal your idea or, you know, um, steal an employee, whatever it is, then you're, then you're doing things wrong and you don't have the right friends. I, um, you know, hey, you know, Roland, who, who, you know, who are you using to fix your ice machine? My ice machine went down. You know, um, I'm having trouble with Turkey. What are you doing about it? You know, these types of things, it's it's critical. It's, you know, it's critical. Well, you've got so much going for you. Max and
1: Louie's in San Antonio. Everyone really, really needs to see visit, learn from. Um, and, and some of these business principles that you just can roll off that are part of your everyday philosophy are standards of excellence that every independent operator needs to pay attention to. Drew, thank you so much.
3: Can we, I give so a, a restaurantowner.com plug? Please do. So again, I said at the very beginning that it was the fir- literally the first, I found it online and this is 11 years ago. It was a long time ago, right? Um, I'm on that site almost every single day. If I need a, um, a opening um, checklist, of, you know, a uh, you know, uh, you know, training for my for a dish, why, whatever it is, I it to me. If you're not on there for the, I don't even know what it cost anymore. I've t- I gave my credit card 11 years ago, and I've never heard from I've never heard from anyone again. So I guess it still works. Well, because uh, they didn't return it to you, uh, they, they're, 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 they kept it. So but it's uh, you know again if you're not if you're not using it i mean the it's a it's an in, to me it's been an invaluable resource um till till today i mean um so i appreciate rush rest- and i you know i'm not it's a plug whatever it is but it's a it's a real legit plug um so thank you guys very much for what you've done with the restaurant owner over the last years and um hopefully today um, i was not too talkative and gave you some good some good feedback
2: it was great and um what an endorsement from a restaurant that is doing as well as yours so uh couldn't 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 have a better endorsement at
3: restaurant.com in my opinion yeah. and and sean you know sean wycliffe in uh, in san diego and when, mm-hmm. when i i was on a podcast of his or I heard him do i think maybe it was with you guys i forgot yeah. he did a pod- yeah. he did a podcast and he said if anybody wants to contact me you know, um, feel free. I, you know, you can do it at any time, and I did. And we become good friends. We speak and text all the time, and we help each other. So, again, I'm an open, I'm an open book, and an and an open resource to anybody that uh, wants to uh, reach out to me. You'll be hearing from our writers,
2: Drew, on a couple of these matters uh, to tap into some of your wisdom. Um, if if I may, pass your name along.
3: Yeah. No. I mean, again, I, I, you know. I do have an ego. No, yeah, I don't. I really don't have an ego. I really don't have an ego. The ego, the ego is. The ego is. It's fun. It's not about the you know, the ego. It's just to me. This is. I love this. I love this part of it. I just like sharing and I like learning. Um, so yes, the answer is whatever I can do. I'm. I'm thrilled to be involved. Awesome.
1: You can tell. You can tell. You've got passion and your interest. The industry needs more Drews.
3: I love it. I, I, just, I wish that. we had
1: more time because this is. This is fantastic. Thank you we
3: again. Yes, so, we can do a part two anytime you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. See you I'm mean in. I'm in soon, I'm everyone. In. Stay tuned for more. Hopefully we'll see everyone very, very soon at another corner booth. Thank you all so much. Thanks again.
0: We'd like to thank Touch Bistro for sponsoring this episode. Touch Bistro provides an all-in-one POS and restaurant management platform for venues of all sizes, from food trucks to fine dining. Go to touchbistro.com to find out how Touch Bistro can solve your restaurant technology challenges today. Thank you for joining us on The Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.